says, get that India, big boy. G'day and welcome back to another episode of The Tip Sheet. I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And speaking of people that you may know, 60s, good to have you back on board, mate. Mate, uh, very happy to be back on board with another one of our instant reactions. People seem to have, uh, well, they seem to have taken a shine to these uh, particular reactions. So who are we to deny the public? Yes, it's where the, uh, the reaction is hot and the takes are even hotter. So... Good fun to sort of have the game fresh in your memory, literally within like, you know, the, the sort of five to ten minutes after kickoff getting in here and being able to record, which is always fun. Um, it comes off another big sad day for us. We were out at Leichhardt earlier today. Unfortunately, uh, the Eels did not win in the grand final of Harold Matz, but we'll, uh, we'll touch on that one in the next episode of the tip sheet. This tonight is the instant reaction for the NRL. So let's get into it. With the, uh, yeah, a bit, can I just say, a bit of mixed... Mixed emotions uh, tonight, mate, because I know we're going to uh, talk about the uh, Harold Matt's loss in the grand final today, but any any loss is tough to take, and we certainly uh, want to extend our um, congratulations to the Harold Matt's boys who got to the grand final. It's been a big season mm. for them. Manly just a bit too good today, and as you said, we'll we'll have a bit more of a chat about that midweek when we speak with Joey Grimer. Yeah, still a damn good campaign and uh, no shame in losing to a manly outfit like that where there's plenty of star power. So like uh, we said, we'll get to that one in the next episode of the Tip Sheet where we do the uh, general reviews and then the next week's previews. But for now, we'll uh, look at the round... Uh, I was about to say round eight. It is round eight, isn't it? Yeah, round eight. Oh my goodness. The round eight action out of the NRL. Uh, the Eels coming back from Darwin to take on the Canterbury Bulldogs, travelling out to Stadium Australia as my phone goes off. Sorry about that. Uh, Travelling out the Stadium Australia to uh, take on a, a sort of a traditional rival that has uh, managed to drag them down to their level uh, for a number of years now. But thankfully, uh, for once, it's a relatively comfortable win, 32-10. to 10. For the Eels, it was a Quinton Govison double and a Mike Siva double alongside Sean Lane and Murata Niakore scoring. Uh, Mitchell Moses, four from six off the kicking team. We're going to have a bone to pick with Mitch about this. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, with Jake Avrilo, Dallin Wattins, Lesniak scoring for the blue and white with Flanagan going one from two. Um... Yeah, this was a funny one, mate, because Eels burst out of the block, 16-0 early, uh, had all the ascendancy, started to let a little bit of complacency slip in, and it felt like this was a game where they never really got out of second gear. Yeah, look, I thought it was one of those games where we still found moments in the game where we dropped down to the standard that the Bulldogs Definitely. Uh, play at. Definitely. And it, it in recent years where... The Bulldogs, and I don't mean disrespect to the Bulldogs with that, because I'm sure even their most ardent supporter would acknowledge that over the last few years, their team's been a shadow of who of the side that you they've been in I, the past. I will say it disrespectfully. The dogs have been shit. <laughs> but, but in the last couple of years, whilst they, as you so um, eloquently, eloquently put it, put, yeah. <laughs> whilst they have been shit, they've still managed to drag us down to their level in matches to the point where it's it's literally been sitting on the edge of the seat as we get to late in the match as to whether we're going to beat them or not. In fact, in 2019, in our first season at Bankwest Stadium, they delivered a Thursday night. Um, well, I thought it was, in the end, it was a, a comprehensive beating of us. Yeah. Because uh, that was that 
that particular night, it was a, a game where we were just, I don't know, we, it, it, we just never hit our straps at all. And nope. tonight, tonight, I thought we actually had ended up with some moments that looked like that. And I don't think there's any way of ignoring the fact that it was a far from flawless game tonight. As you said, it ended up a comfortable win. It ended up being a maybe a level up on some past games, but it still gave me flashbacks of uh, past performances against the Dogs. Well, let's uh, open up the doors of our player talent agency and go by the numbers here. The Parramatta Eels edging out the Dogs in possession, fifty-one to forty-nine percent. So, despite dominating the early possession to the tone of sixty-plus percent, that levelled out massively in the second half. Eels slightly ahead in time possession by about a minute. Uh, the Dogs are more efficient at completing their sets at eighty-two percent. The Parramatta seventy-one, uh, thirty-two or thirty-nine for Canterbury, and twenty-nine to forty-one for the Eels. And then, still, despite only having a slight edge in the uh, actual possession stakes. The Eels were ahead in all key attacking categories as they were against the Broncos. Uh, better in runs, better in run meters, better in post-contact meters. Seven line breaks to two, 37 tackle breaks to 21. Average set distance was 13.5 meters higher. Uh, they had more kick return meters. Once again, the slower play to ball speed. That is an incredible stat. The fact that the Eels are just so consistently... And we're talking about half a second here, 3.13 to 3.64. The Eels are so slow on the ruck compared to their opponents, and yet they tend to win. So, cool. Um, yeah, well, I think that was evident that the Bulldogs were slowing down the ruck. And unfortunately, from our perspective, I don't think we picked up too many six-agains in comparison to the six-agains or, or penalties that the, the Dogs got. But maybe you can enlighten us on those stats. Well, speaking of those negative plays, as the NRL likes to bill them, <laughs> Eels with more errors, 14-8, to eight, which isn't a surprise given what we're talking about. Um, just a number of uh, moments where there were lapses and either pushed passes or moments of uh, failed concentration. Uh, five penalties considered from Parramatta to Canterbury's three. Uh, three ruck infringements to Canterbury's two. Uh, oh, they've actually separated ruck infringements and inside ten. There you go. So uh, three ruck infringements to two from Can- uh, Parramatta to Canterbury and two inside tens to two. So uh, it was uh, a 5-4 split on the six against. So, yeah, I honestly thought that the amount of work that the dogs were doing and slowing the play the ball down that we should have got a little bit more and I, and to be honest I thought they were well and truly creeping up offside oh but, definitely yeah you know that and but that's as i said uh, that's me that's me now nitpicking on um, a referee's performance when really i think the owners want to i think the the main contributors to any of the negative play, we have to look in the mirror for that. A hundred, a hundred percent, and um, that that was across the park. You know, if we're going to just quickly, you know, nitpick here, I thought Dylan Brown had a very ordinary night. Uh, Nathan Brown, prior to his injury, had a lot of good, but also there was a drop pass. Uh, Sean Lane was actually I, I pick on Sean Lane. That was a Gufferson hospital pass <laughs> that led to that error. Uh, so Lane, he gets a pass for once, uh, but he did give away a penalty, which I wasn't happy about. Um, and yeah, just across the park, there was a few errors here and there, and it was just enough to let the dogs off the hook. And what could have been an easy fifty-point demolition, instead we have just a comfortable thirty-two to ten victory. Uh, in well, that seventy, that seventy-one percent completion rate—that's just that is below standard. Yeah, hundred percent. Nowhere near what we what we should be uh, performing at, and that's that's why I say that I still thought that we managed to drop down towards the dog standard in the game than we did um, 
playing to our own standards. Yeah, and I, I dare say that when they cut up the tape for this game, they're not going to be happy about the two tries they conceded. Uh, Dylan especially was uh, caught uh, cheating to the outside when uh, Jake Averill sliced past him, and Reed Miner couldn't make the cover tackle. And then in the second instance, um, Blake Ferguson ended up taking no one. And uh, there'll be other people at fault there um, from the inside, but uh, Blake shot up and went, just went between <laughs> multiple people. Yeah, he... He got he got caught in the instance where he was going to be the one that looked the silliest. However, you could see yeah, right it, from the it, play the ball that that's they had right. numbered up. That's right, and that and the Eels were caught in their um, back heels in that play too and didn't push up, which left Blake looking like a clown, unfortunately, because he was the one that went up and just went between uh, attackers. So, the, yeah, like we said, far from flawless. Uh, despite that, there were still some great individual efforts. Quinton Gufferson got an early night, uh, got hit the showers at 72 minutes as Brad Arthur threw Hayes Dunster into the action. Still managed to bang out 260 metres, three line breaks, a line break assist and a try assist alongside two tries for himself. Um, Isai Papali'i playing edge and then middle, I believe. Well, no, Sean Lane Sean Lane came onto the middle. So, uh, yeah, Papali'i did, did rotate the middle though because uh, it was Madison and Cartwright out wide. But Papali'i went for 18 runs, 187 metres, 87 of those post-contact, two line break assists, a try assist, in a, a very good all-round performance as he just gets better and better every week. Outrageous. And then probably the... Can I, can I just interrupt there and and say, I think tonight was almost an instance where it was a Gutherson-like performance from him. Yeah. Uh, from the perspective that it was that good and yet I didn't notice it as that. Yeah, he was just going about his business, right? And just the numbers yeah. started piling up when you look back on it. And you're like, oh yeah, he had like that 15-meter carry that took him over halfway and... Had that big uh, basketball pass to Mike Siva that set up the try, you know. He just and that's such a credit to the effort that he puts in. That we're now at that point where it's like, oh god, he's he's nearly went for two hundred meters, and it's just like it happened. It's not like yeah. And uh, I, I was stunned. I was when you just read out those numbers, I, I was stunned because, uh, as I said, I, I it's almost like I'm expecting that he's going to be pulling out a spectacular game. And that one was probably less on the spectacular and more on the uh, tradesman-like performance. Mm. But the numbers are just outstanding. Yeah, he and it's still four tackle busts too. So he's just he is hitting incredible benchmarks week in and week out. Um, and speaking of benchmarks, the entire backline up over 120 meters from one to five. That's a very good uh, mark to hit for five players, and that helped the uh, platform being laid through that pro- that time period where the Eels were dominant. Um, from there, I thought Reg had a great game too. Uh, Brad Arthur pulled a bit of a switcheroo before kickoff and promoted Oregon into the starting lineup uh, with uh, Reagan Campbell-Gillard. Reg went for 165 off 13. Uh, Oggy went for 125 off 14. Uh, Junior had a, a probably quieter night than he's used to, forced an offload that led to a turnover, 14 runs, 123. But the, the other player that really stood out probably was Bryce Cartwright. Um, the numbers aren't that, aren't that flashy, seven runs, 60 metres, but, geez, his touches were just pure class. Well, I said when we recruited him that he was going to offer a genuine point of difference. And I likened what he was perhaps going to be capable of doing as as something similar to Folletti Matteo in terms of the potential of creating creating something out of nothing. And I think... What we might have in this instance, however, is given that BA is the coach and that BA wants the basics done well first, if you remember, Folletti used to always 
he, he was more than capable of an error in his game. <laughs> he he, was, he produced the spectacular, yep. the absolutely spectacular, but there were plenty of errors in his game. Well, I uh, don't think BA is going to allow those levels of error from, um, uh, from Bryce Cartwright. But tonight, mate, just what he delivered, that those, first of all, that catch to take the ball and then instantly flick it out to the to, yeah. yeah, to get the pass away. And then, of course, when you saw in replay, uh, because I, I, I didn't notice it live, uh, but when you saw him wrap around to the other side of the ruck for the, the other try re- where he provided the uh, try assist for Murata Nukore, just again, that game sense. He, he knew it was on down the down the short side, wrapped around and delivered selectively a pass. I'm glad Murata held onto it because it was a bit dodgy, the, the grab that he made. But, mate, it, he's ended up featuring in my... Three, two, one, and I, he almost came out of the blue to feature in the three, two, one because he wasn't out there for the first twenty minutes where we were going gangbusters. Yeah, uh, he came on, and, and I, I thought he actually ran the ball better than the stats say. Um, maybe they'll be revised with some some better numbers, but I felt like he was making good inroads. He played both left and right, also worked through the middle, so he's been used in a diverse array. For the Eels, which means teams can't, you know, sort of lock in on him in one uh, one specific capacity. So, uh, very encouraging stuff from Bryce Cartwright after that uh, unhappy debut, I suppose you can phrase it as, against the Dragons. He's been um, on the up and up ever since. Uh, very impressive tonight. Love to see that. But yeah, from, from a player perspective, I thought Reid Marnie had a good game for the most part. Uh, set up in an early try for a nice little pirouette and line break. Uh, Mitch Moses was mostly on the money. Um, and yeah, the entire back line was pretty good. So... Individually, uh, a lot of solid performances. Also, some of those negatives we're speaking about. But I, I don't know. Like, It's a game where we did not get out of second gear, and yet we still smoked them. So as much as I'm going to sit here and grumble about some of the issues, and they are legit you know, things to grumble about, I'm still pretty happy. The, the big concern, obviously, for the Eels is they didn't come out of this game unscathed. Nathan Brown went down for non-contact hip injury, and I think uh, the NRL physios indicated that it's most likely a hip flexor, or a hip pointer, sorry. Uh so he's saying that, uh, sorry, here's his tweet. Uh, hit pointer for Nathan Brown, mechanism looks non-contact, but collision to hit prior to this would have caused the damage. Effectively is a bad cork to the point of the hip. Looks a lot worse than it is, usually worst case two to four weeks. Some even able to return within a week. Uh, and he's uh, followed up by saying, uh, strange circumstances have such a delayed response to the hit pointer, but saw the exact same situation for Anthony Don earlier this season. He even tore some structures in his hip, in, uh, in, com- in quotes, sorry, uh, but returned the play within a month. So uh, maybe not as bad as it initially looked for him because he looked gone. He, he was in all sorts of agony. They were going to call the stretcher, the medicap out there, but um, he ended up walking it off, and, and maybe there is a bit of a, a silver lining to what could have been a, what looked like a season ender. I must admit, before I'd seen on, uh, on replay what had actually happened, when it was the uh, trainer... Um, pistol over there with him and uh, signalling for the stretcher and they were looking at his hip and holding his hip, I was thinking, oh, don't tell me this is a, dis- you know, a, the, a Chris Lawrence, hip. yeah. You know, that was, that was my first fear on watching it. And, of course, when you saw him go down in a non-contact, the, the first thing to think is, 
or is it his hip? And then, of course, vision again shows they're they're treating the the definitely treating the hip area. So it's probably the best case scenario now that um, they are looking at that hip pointer. My expert opinion, I went the hip flexor. That that and, was where uh, I went initially. Yeah, I was like, is it flexor? Is it pointer? Because um, there was talk about Achilles, I was talking about ACL, and he was clearly he was working in his um his hip. So, uh, knock on wood, this isn't an official diagnosis, so we're not trying to uh, preempt what the club's going to put out on Monday or Tuesday. But maybe there's there's a suggestion that this might not be uh, a season ender, which is a, a huge boost to the Parramatta because Brown is obviously an integral part of the forward pack. But uh, in his absence, what are we looking at, mate? Well, let's say he has the four week injury; he's out for a month. Uh, what are we doing? Because we got um, right near Corey out in the centres. We know that Wanga Blake's not far off. Um, we've also got Hayes Perham now and, and a couple other options that we can throw onto the centres too if we need B. Do you bring Murata back to the lock forward role in the starting lineup and put someone else out the centres? Or do we promote someone from the bench uh, into that lock role and then look to reinforce the bench by another means? Well, I think the interesting uh, decision will come around someone like um, a Keegan Hipgrave or a Ray Stone. Now, Ray Stone's very close. He's, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Ray Stone plays this week. Um, oh, sorry, in the next round. So perhaps he comes into consideration, but it's hard to ignore the claims of Keegan Hipgrave from earlier in the season as well. Yeah, so, aside from the, the fun name that we've got that he's been undefeated on the season to date, uh, he's also played some really good football. Uh, you know, earlier on in the NRL, he had very limited capacities, and so he probably couldn't show off as much as he would otherwise want to. But once he got uh, a proper chance, he put out some good numbers. And then in the full games of reserve grade he's played, he's been fantastic. So uh, he definitely should be right in the frame for a call-up, uh, regardless of how the Eels go. Uh, but, yeah, it, it presents Brad Arthur an interesting scenario because uh, you don't want to be rushing Wanga Blake back because we know that calf injuries can be an absolute mongrel with what we saw from Mitchell last year, where it really dogged his game for the entire season once he went down. So you want to give um, Wong every chance to fully heal. So Yeah, yeah I, think he's, I think he's a few weeks away yet, Wonga. So uh, they did predict up to round 10, and I would think that that's probably close, you know, close to the mark. I don't think he's... he's I don't, even though we, next week's round nine, I don't think we'll see him round nine. I think it's going to be close to around 10. As you said, they're not going to rush him You, when you're talking about those sorts of calf injuries. As you say, they can be dodgy things. You come back too early, you do it again, you're out for another extended period of time. We saw that Mitch Moses last year really struggled with his calf injury, even though he was right to play. He was never really fully fit. And look at the difference this year with a fully fit Mitch Moses. Yeah, he's out there so, dominating uh, regardless of who he's playing. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I want to... Oh, sorry, you go. No, no, go, go ahead, mate. I was going to say, I want to lavish praise on Mitch on one hand, but on the other, I've got a bone to pick with him because those that are listening to the tip sheet week in and week out will know that both 60s and I tipped 36 to 10 for the margin of victory today. And I think that goal also said the same in his preview by, goal, yeah, it by was, Providence. It was, yeah, it was... Uh, it was you know, a bit of twilight zone area yeah. because goals gone the thirty six ten. We both gone the thirty six ten. And so we've had and a we've had a Quinton Gubber, uh, Clinton Gubberson Gufferson double, so two tries. A Mike Acevo double on the four tries, and then Sean Lane and Rodney Corey 
going on to the six try total for the Eels. So six by four is 24. And then Mitch Moses had six shots to go on and narrowly missed two of them to put us up another eight points to get to <clears throat> 32, sorry, leaving us four points adrift with the two kicks he missed of getting the perfect margin tip. Mate, how good would that have been to have nailed the 36 <laughs> to 10? I'm, I'm claiming I'm claiming moral victory on that. I'm claiming moral victory on that. Mitch just squeezed both those kicks as well. It was unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now, just staying with the positive, if we can, with the good performances that are out there. Let's go. Your three, two, one, mate. Uh, um, I think you got to go to King for three points. He was everywhere. Uh, nabbed a couple of tries. Also set up another one. Uh, had ten tackle busts, by the way. Uh, so he was just phenomenal. Um, you know, 260 metres with eight minutes uh, early on the bench, so he could have easily gotten close to 300 with just a couple more good hit-ups. So I'm going to give him my three points. The two points. I, I'm, I'm going to go for Zai Papali'i, but it, even though he is had such a, a monster game on the numbers, it, it actually ends up only being just ahead of Bryce Cartwright, who was uh, phenomenal. Uh, like, once again, the numbers really don't show you how much of an impact he had, so I'm going to go three Guffo two Papali'i, and uh, one Bryce Cartwright. Okay. Well, look, I can't disagree with your three. Gutho was just outstanding tonight. For two, I'm going to go Reed Marnie. I thought that his admittedly got a lot of the points from me for in, within that first half because I thought his first half was uh, brilliant. Uh, the, the, he was, were, he was so, outstanding, yeah. Yeah, so I I think he he stays up there and my one goes to Bryce Cartwright for reasons mentioned when I was uh, talking about him before with uh, what he was able to produce. And uh, I feel like gee, it, w- it, it would have been close. Uh, anyone that would, would have suggested, as you did, Papali'i or Mitch Moses to also feature, I wouldn't have argued either. So that's that's probably where I'm going, my 3-2-1 with Gutho, Kashmani, and uh, Bonanza. <laughs> uh, and a little bit more uh, follow-up, sorry, if I just cut across what we're doing with our 3-2-1. NRL physios identified where uh, the mechanism of that uh, potential cork for Nathan Brown's hip comes. And this is something that when I was watching the game, I thought I saw a raised knee from one of the dogs. And I, I you know, I, I sort of questioned it to those around me and didn't really follow it up. And it turns out, yeah, going back, there is a very blatant raised knee uh, that ends up spearing him right in the hip. Uh, can I see the clock on this replay from him? No, I can't, unfortunately. Uh, but it would be just prior to him getting the, uh, the non-contact side of the injury. So uh, hopefully it looks to be a very severe cork based on that. And I dare say that there might be some uh, judiciary issues there for the, the dogs player that raised that knee because that is a very, very elevated knee. Now, just on the um, uh, just away from the, the injury there to Nathan Brown, overall thoughts on the game. Now, for me, it's I thought that we, if I was going to be critical of our game, and I, I, I summed it up with the dropping to the dogs level. But if I'm going to be specific about how, I would say we lost composure and patience in our in attack, and I thought that was 
that was probably where things started to go astray. And it was the back half of the first half and then the um, middle period of the second half that that patience and composure just seemed to disappear. Um, if we're, and again, uh, I think that's reflected in the completion rates that are well down on what they should be. As yep. far as the aspects of the our game that we did well, when we are controlling the middle and we are rolling up through the middle, my goodness, we lay a terrific platform. And yeah, when, when, we're, when we're in gear, we are, you can, and for those who are always listening at home like I was today, you could hear the commentary waxing lyrical about us at times, waxing lyrical, sorry, about us at times, because when we get into gear, we are just an absolute, like a monolith. That we are such an imposing outfit to go against. And you can see why, you know, people hold us in the same esteem or, or in a similar esteem to teams like Penrith now is that our forward pack can, can so consistently lay this platform that, it, you know, it is terrifying to go up against because you may be able to stop us for a set, you may be able to stop us for a quarter, but, you know, the eel is going to get theirs. And, you know, when they when they do come, the toll they take on you physically can really take, take it out of you for the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've really enjoyed about t- today's game from a positive perspective is when you see things trained for during the week and then it comes off in a game. Uh, case in point, Gutho. He was working on the tap-ons at training through mm-hmm. the week. Lo and behold, on comes... On a silver platter for Micah. Yep. Yeah, you and like, you like to see that. In That's commentary... In commentary, Corey Parker's going, well, that's yeah, that's just instinctive football. Well, yeah, there's, there is a lot of... Uh, He's half right. He's half right. <laughs> I mean, the instinct is now's the time to do it. Now's the ideal time to do it. The But from a skills perspective and from the perspective of the players around, ex, for example, Mike Acevo, expecting a, uh, a tap-on to happen, there it was delivered. And I suppose that's the, the beauty of that is that an opposition team can't go, well, in this instance, he's going to tap on because you don't know whether Gutho's going to do that or he's going to take the ball and slice through yep. the defence. So it was... But as I said, these things just don't happen. But when you see them train for something like that and then it comes off, I, I can imagine how the coaches must feel to have success from from something that they work on, the separation is in the preparation. Another you know sporting truism, uh, you know the, you do that hundreds and thousands of times in the training paddock so you can get it right come game day. So it would have been very how many of these? Them. How many of these you got, mate? I mean, mate one of the I, best ones is your the yep. best ability is available. That's right. Yeah. Now, now you're pulling out the separations in the preparation. Yeah. No, I, I follow Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, and they've got plenty of the uh, cheesy sporting truism. So <laughs> I've got a whole bank of them to call upon when I need them, which is well, uh, I'm gonna, both I'm going to demand case. that you pull out a separate one each week. <laughs> okay. So that'll, be, that'll be how you can separate yourself from all the other podcasters <laughs> out there, right? That'll be your preparation. That'll be the, the 40s separate, uh, uh, preparation for the separation. Oh, goodness. A couple of things I did want to touch on before we start wrapping up. 
Uh, good to see Ryan Madison back, obviously. He got through 80 minutes. Uh, you know, nothing incredible for Ryan, but he ran the ball strongly. 14 runs, 115 metres. Uh, wasn't credited for any tackle bust, but I would have sworn he got off at least one defender there. Uh, maybe they'll come back when they do a retally. That was yeah. his post-contact. Uh, post-contact got through over over 50% of his runs was uh, post-contact, 59 metres of his 115, which adds up to what I was seeing on the field. Um, he was, you know, fighting through the initial contact pretty well. So very happy to have Maddo back. And the other thing that we we touched on, we talked about Brad Arthur playing a little bit of a, a pre-game shenanigans was the junior Paul Oregon Kafusi switch, which ended up playing off really nicely for Oregon. I thought he had a great game backing up from Darwin. Uh, junior, unfortunately, didn't, you know, he wasn't terrible, but he, uh, you know, it, it's... It, this is also reflective of the team. I suppose you look at this on, on a macro level as a player level. The fact that Junior Polo went for 14 for 123 metres, 53 of those metres post-contact uh, alongside uh, uh, a stack of tackles. I mean, you know, and we, we say like he didn't have that good a game. Um, that, that shows the standard that we hold these players and this team in. And that's why, how we're going to get to the premiership, uh, hopefully, is by, you know, meeting those standards. But it can make for some really tough marking at times. But the question I was getting to was, I imagine this is you know potentially a function of trying to do a little bit of load management for starters uh, coming out of that Darwin game. But it was also a little bit of a an, a curtain raiser, an eye-opener ahead of a, a potential origin call-up for Junior where we need to call Augie into the starting lineup. So what did you think about that switch? Did it sort of bode well or augur well for when we potentially don't have Junior services available? I think looking at it from the perspective of uh, junior, I thought it like you. It it didn't work from the perspective of it seemed to take him a while to get himself into the game as he normally would be. It was almost like it was. It took him a while to adjust to what was happening out there. From the other perspective, as you said, the preparation for possible origin duties for junior and where we go without him. Uh, worked perfectly because I thought Oregon stepped up to the mark during his time out there. He made those tough carries. He was part of winning the middle, getting the advancing the ball down the field. He's he's come along in leaps and bounds this year. I believe that it was going to be a breakout year for Oregon Kafusi. He was year. one of the ones that you tipped in the preseason. Yeah, he was he was my breakout prediction, and I'm standing by that. I reckon that every week he's proving that to be the case. Um, so, yeah, I thought it worked from that perspective. What about you? you would you have thought that it did? Uh, in terms of Oregon, I was very happy. Um, I thought he ran the ball really strongly, had a great one-two going with Reg and Brownie too while he was um, healthy. So I really liked that one-two-three combination. And and I suppose another point worth mentioning is that knock on wood, you know, sort of uh, pending uh, the fitness of Brownie and, and anyone else in the meantime, we also have Murata back during that period to help reinforce the middle. So I think that between those that are there now and Murata coming back, the rotation should be pretty solid. Obviously, Wiramu Greg was um, pretty good off the bench prior to this week where he was sent, uh, put to 18th man duties. So the Eels have got a little bit of uh, uh, excess resources they can call upon. So I thought it, it sort of augurs well. And one thing I, I do want to mention on a, a flippant note is that uh, someone needs to get uh, Augie a, a TPA with head and shoulders. He's got that silky hair. Have you, have you noticed how nice his hair is? Running, running out from the tunnel, <laughs> it looks like he's just like coming out of the hairdressers. It's beautiful stuff. Do you know what it reminds me of, mate? And it's there might be a few people might nod along at home, but I'm talking about people that are more of my vintage. When I was a kid and the Beatles hit 
world headlines. Yeah, that, that, you that, could buy yeah. you could buy beetle wigs. Yeah, even plastic ones. Just just, just recalling footage I've seen of them. That that does look like a beetle cut, like the same silky hair. So Oggy Oggy <laughs> repping the Beatles. Yes, yeah. So uh, there, there may be a nickname that's coming along uh, very soon. He he, he might be um, a, a a George Harrison or a Paul McCartney, John Lennon. Maybe he's Ringo. That well, te- te- technically, he's not even the best prop in the team, but you know you don't want to use that uh, sort of backhanded comment from Ringo. And and uh, uh, who who was the other drummer? Was it Harrison? That was the one that was the. I'm having a no, no. It, it, it was uh, it, before that. It was Pete Best. Yeah, but uh, but the yeah, the, the I, famous I'm, line of that. I am I am going to as as a Beatles aficionado. I'm going to refute any claims that Ringo wasn't the best drummer in the band in fact uh, Ringo was one of the best drummers that was going around because he was unique in his yeah. style and uh, maybe maybe I'll just go ahead and I'll dedicate an entire podcast <laughs> to talking Beatles and the relative merits of all of them as musicians <laughs> uh, it may not go under the TCT banner but who knows I, I might just use editorial uh, <laughs> privileges yeah, executive, yeah, executive authority at TCT <laughs> yeah. to get a dedicated <laughs> Beatles podcast happening that's it that's it but yeah, so we might. I tell you what, mate. Maybe we can. What we could do is, uh, uh, we've got a live podcast that'll be coming up from Paramount East Club very soon. We could just turn up and talk about the Beatles. Just chill, for, chill, and talk hour, about the Beatles, yeah. Rugby league, and just just create an element of surprise. That oh, hang on, we're not expecting this. Well, yeah, yeah, but this is this is the direction we're heading. <laughs> and uh, and as much as that win was, I suppose, disappointing somewhat so because Eels did have the potential to go on and really load up the score against the Dogs. They did sort of break the shackles on a run of uh, narrow encounters or narrow results against Canterbury um, and secure a 22-point margin of victory. The win lifts the Eels back up into second place. They actually dropped down the fourth uh, by the time the balls kicked off at 5.30pm today for victories to the Rabbitohs and Storm, uh, but that was obviously a, a provisional placing pending their result. And with the win, they're back into second. They actually have a for and against uh, differential of positive 123 now. So they're narrowing the margin on the Panthers too. I think that was a 40-point margin coming into this round, and it's now uh, 152 versus 123, so 29 points. Um, And it's the third-best margin in the game at the moment behind both the Panthers, uh, 152, and the Storm, 134. Pending what the Roosters might be doing against the the Knights as I type this up, or sorry, as I talk this out. 20 to 4. So 20-4. 20 20 so the Roosters entered this round at positive 102. So uh, they are still behind us on four and against with the results are standing, but not by much. So we need the Knights to get a kick on in the second half to – not that the Roosters will catch us on uh, – yeah, the Roosters are a full win behind us, though. So just in terms of uh, bragging rights for four and against, I suppose. Yeah, we – let's uh, – we, we do have, however, a match – coming up against the Roosters. So that's where it becomes significant. Uh, If we can, um, to get a win in the, in the coming match, that'd be huge. Gives us a four point break, uh, a loss to them and they're up level. And then the for and against starts to feature, but um, let's hope that uh, we, we have no more injuries and we can go into the next match uh, with a little bit of, um, Freshness in the legs now being a further week away from that Darwin match, mate. That that 
that really was energy sapping. I'm sure that at different points it, it had its effect. Uh, I can say that they did, uh, they were able to give them a bit of a rest with the eight day break during the week. I thought they did a great job with their load management, having watched a bit of their training this week. So, um, yeah, let, let's hope that the, there's no more injuries that we aren't aware of and that the uh, clash uh, that's coming up against the uh, Roosters is played on its uh, with both teams at uh, close to full strength. Yeah, and you don't want to get caught looking too far ahead in your schedule um, to sort of cheat cheat ahead of the podcast and, and uh, drop another sporting truism. You're looking to go one and over a week. You don't want to get too far ahead of yourself because that's where you can start to unravel. But um, like you mentioned, 60s, up against the Roosters next week. Then you've got the Warriors, the Seagulls, and the Rabbitohs in the next month. So there is a chance to, you know, results pending, to really separate yourself from some other top four contenders. So this is uh, the first, I mean, the Eels, it's funny because the Eels draw, was sort of, when we when we looked at it coming into this year, it was like, yeah, the opening's not too bad. Obviously, there's a Melbourne Storm game. You look to try and get past that. Um, and the Raiders game, they're the two ones we circled. But it turns out that our draw's actually been pretty tough, um, you know, relative to uh, some upright, uh, up upstart sorry teams like the dragons um yeah you know we played the broncos twice which you know they've been such a weird team because they're so uh bad in some games you know we embarrassed them uh for a game and a half uh between the second half in round one and then obviously the entire darwin contest but then you know they pants the the gold coast titans this week and you know push penrith to their utmost so we've gotten through that part but now this next month really gives us a chance to uh put some space between either top eight contenders like the Manly Seagulls when they're at full strength, and even New Zealand Warriors who aren't a bad team, they're actually in the eight as I, you know, as we record this podcast, and other top four contenders. So, yeah, uh, interesting period of play, and then obviously we have that murderers row at the back end of the season, starting with the Raiders in round uh, nineteen. So Raiders, Roosters, Rabbitohs, Seagulls, Cowboys, Storm, and Panthers. That is absolutely ridiculous. Whew. But yeah, for the time being. Yeah, let's let's hope let's hope that we by the time we get up to there that we're sitting on about thirty four or thirty six. That's right. Then that, that's why you want to take you, know, you don't win premierships in April and and May and whatnot, but you can lose them and you can lose home finals. And that's why taking care of business early on it, it gives you the ability to go on a run at the end of the season, knowing in some capacity that you control your fate, which is a huge benefit. So. Like we said, Eels finished the round. Uh, they cannot be catched or cannot be caught. God. Mate, what is going on with uh, your grammar? Ugh. They cannot be catched. They cannot be caught um, uh, for the rest of the round. They will finish the round in second uh, behind the Penrith Panthers. So the Western Sydney 1-2 continues to reign over the rest of the NRL, uh, which is uh, great for the rivalry, great for Western Sydney footy. Um, and, yeah, next week we have a, another primetime game on Friday night, taking on the Sydney Roosters Back at Bank West, love to be at home. So looking to get it for, looking forward to get up to that one. And yeah, we've got another podcast to record between now and then where we're going to talk about all the other action from the weekend. Uh, Jersey Flag got up for a win today. We'll talk about that. Uh, unfortunately, Harold Matthews lost their grand final. We'll talk about that. And we've got tomorrow's result, which is still pending, obviously, where the Parramatta Reels go out west to Hinchinbrook to Aubrey Keats Reserve to take on the uh, Mounties who are affiliated with the Canterbury Bulldogs. So plenty of action to talk about that one. I'm still figuring out if I'm going to be able to get out there, but if not, we will have a report from Ham. Um, plus, uh, Joey will probably give us a wrap as well. So, still plenty of footy to talk about, plenty of footy to preview later in the week. I'm really glad to have everyone listen. Always a pleasure. And as always, we'll catch you guys on the other side, eh? Yeah. See you, mate. 
another good one as uh, as always, and uh, looking forward to speaking again during the week. Catch you guys.